Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today, I am absolutely delighted to introduce you to Dequantify and we have Sohil and Fred here. How are you guys? Very well, good. Yeah, very good. Listen, we've been finding out a little bit more about the, uh, the company. I'm really excited about this because I think not only is it a really interesting area, but it's also a really interesting time of your development, sort of starting in earnest, sort of December time and, uh, and seeing the, the sort of evolution of the business. Loads and loads to find out about all that. Before we go into it all, uh, let's find out a little bit more about your backgrounds. Fred, tell us a little bit about yourself, first and foremost. Yeah, sure. Well, I obviously, I spent many, many years working in uh, traditional finance uh, for different banks in the city, also in New York, Paris, uh, London. And um, this is working in derivatives markets for traditional products, you know, like FX, commodities, interest rates. And yeah, so I did that for many years. And then took a bit of time out, you know, with COVID and have a bit of a think about things. And then we thought, you know, it'd be nice to do something again, something interesting. And I remember how much fun it was working in derivatives uh, when I was, you know, more at the beginning of my career. It's a voyage of discovery, lots of very smart, motivated people. So crypto derivatives sounds perfect for me to get back into that 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 world with the the energy and the buzz of a of a new market that's growing, and um, it's seduced it's seduced a lot of people back, hasn't it? <laughs> I think it has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, quite a few older old names popping up here and there. Yes, it certainly sure. is. It certainly is. We'll come back on to that in a, in a second because I've got a lot of questions around around that too. So he'll give us a little bit of your background as well. So, like Fred, I too uh, have a background in traditional financial markets. Uh, mostly for the big investment banks in London. And I've worked in electronic trading. Uh, I've worked uh, a lot on risk, derivatives risk. And just like Fred, I felt that the big banks are falling a bit behind in terms of tech. And I wanted to play with the latest tech and be able to solve problems using some of the newer technologies, such as AI. And we had a, Fred and I had worked on a startup before Dequantify, which is in a completely different field, which is social media called Lockitbox. Um, and we wanted to apply some of the things that we learned uh, to the finance sphere. Sounds like a uh, like a, a great transition in terms of everything that you were doing and where, where you've been heading with it. So that that lands us at the sort of uh, doorstep of Dequantify. So tell us a little bit about it. What's, what's the company do? Where's the opportunity? And, and how do you fit, fit into it all? So what we feel is there is a gap in the market around trading tools for institutions with crypto. So crypto, just to explain, crypto is mainly a, a retail-driven market at the moment. Mm. When we've looked at the tools in crypto, they are not the same. They don't have the same level of sophistication as the tools that we built for throughout our careers. And really, we want to. We, we think there's a gap there, and so our company is really about providing quantitative trading tools to risk takers in crypto, particularly in derivative markets. Mm. And as you said before, that's that's where I feel like a lot of people have come back to from those institutional backgrounds. What what has what has been some of the sort of real drive for people to come back into that space? What's what's this? You know, we mentioned the word seduction earlier on. What's what's seduced people back into this space? I think that. Since 2008, I think traditional markets, it's been hard 
to be entrepreneurial and to make money in those markets. And I was, I was a head of RegTech uh, until a few years ago at a large bank. And I can see that, that the regulations mean that it's becoming increasingly difficult to find opportunities to make money mm. uh, in traditional markets. And plus a lot of the work, if you're a technologist, is about enhancing systems rather than building new things and adding, adding a lot of value to the trading floor. That's why I think people from, from the trading floor and from tech, a lot of those people have, have moved into crypto to, to get back this feel that Fred referred to of, of doing something new. Mm. And it is, isn't it? It has that, that sort of piece to it. But it's also still, a, you know, as, as we will speak about, I'm sure, during the course of this, a sort of volatile market. And with that volatility creates opportunity and, and technology and, and, as you say, companies there that are allowing people to play at their optimum and play at their best and de-risk this sort of area. So talk to me a little bit about the, the benefits of your product. Talk to us a little bit about how your customers engage with who your customers are and what's, you know, what's exciting for them about what you're doing. Okay, so, so our flagship product is called DQ Risk, and mm. that's been released recently in a trial phase. What DQ Risk does is it takes positions from different crypto exchanges, and particularly derivative exchanges, aggregates those positions, and then you can see real-time risk on those positions. And plus, you can see your PL, and we've got PL Explain in there, which are fairly standard tools for uh, TradFi, but apparently there aren't tools like this that exist in, in crypto markets. So, so to explain, but I think the, the users of these products at the moment, the users of crypto products at, at the moment, will probably manage the risk and have they'll have built spreadsheets to manage all of this. So why would they want to use DQ Risk? I think it's really around growing up and maturing and about reducing operational risk is probably the key thing. Because we're a system, we're locked down, we run a SaaS model as well. So our clients don't need their own IT infrastructure and the staff associated with that. We can get them up and running in, in minutes. I think those are the key elements. And that sort of ties itself back, doesn't it, to, to the sort of more traditional markets and what we've seen in evolution through, through there as well. The amount of times I've heard people trying to uh, get people away from their spreadsheets <laughs> over yes. the years has, has been yes. uh, uh, that, that's not that's not new conversation for traditional markets, but I think it is, isn't it? In in terms of you know, probably the more retail orientated world of crypto thus far, and as, you know, as it matures, as it, I wrote about this on the weekend on on LinkedIn, I don't think crypto as an asset class is going anywhere, right? Um, despite all the volatility of everything we're seeing, it has arrived as an asset class, and with with that as its uh, as its moniker. So too comes an awful lot of significance around, I guess, the levels of traditional structure that's needed around those sort of areas. And, and as you sort of noted there, the spreadsheets, death, and how people can become more efficient is, has driven huge innovation and huge de development in the uh, you know, in traditional markets. So talk to me about what you've seen in terms of innovation at the moment and, what, um, and how you guys sort of fit into that ecosystem. Well, I mean, the crypto world is, is kind of full of innovation. So, I mean, one way to think of it is... Uh, you know kind of like innovation of crypto that's different to the innovation in traditional derivatives markets mm. um, because I, I mean when you think about the traditional derivatives markets it's like conquering one asset class after another you know as time has gone on derivatives have moved in taken over various asset classes I mean there's no reason to not suspect that derivatives will come in and take over crypto as well so that the, you know the volumes of derivatives will far outstrip the volumes of the underlying coins the the spot products if you like because mm. uh, that's certainly the pattern that's happened everywhere 
else previously. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing in crypto also is this DeFi aspect, which is yeah. not quite what you would see in traditional markets because traditional markets tend to be that centralized, right? So you have a centralized exchange. Uh, you have a few, well, a number of big central exchanges. You have that with crypto too. They're almost like traditional crypto exchanges. <laughs> yeah. But they're also DeFi as well, which is a very much area of innovation, which are decentralized exchanges where you have automated market makers, um, liquidity pools. And there are a lot of innovation there, a lot of issues as well, and a lot of risks. And everyone's still trying to figure out how to get this decentralized model up and running. I mean, you can certainly imagine, you know, decentralized uh, derivative products as well on these decentralized exchanges. The other aspect is, I guess, about what types of these products, because there are so many different coins, you know, is crypto, is it more like an asset class? You know, what is it? What is it? Is it more like a currency? Is it more like mm. a commodity? Is it a mixture? What's the best way to model it? And I, I think the answer is it probably needs its own models. You know, we, we need yeah, some work to figure out what the right models are for these things. Because every time previously when an asset class has come online, new models have been required. Yeah. Now, the good thing, our general pattern though, is that at the beginning, the margins are quite wide. Okay, the fees are quite large, the margins are quite wide, and your models, they tend to be quite loose. And then as time goes on and the market matures, the models tighten up and they become more, more mathematically rigorous the, the timing, the speed, you know, if, uh, of execution becomes more and more important. I'm talking derivatives in particular. And so there's like that, that general maturation of the new market. But there are idiosyncrasies for crypto. Uh, certainly DeFi is a big one. And also regulatory constraints are also a big one as well. Um, in terms of, you know, some uh, institutions, are they actually allowed to trade on certain exchanges? Because exchanges have to be regulated, you know, if they're cool. a fund. So the, the regulatory aspect is is huge. So in terms of like innovation to to be able to comply with regulatory constraints and yet still partake in the market, that will be quite interesting too. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? That and and there's been this sort of explosion of businesses who are you know moving into this sort of space. And I mentioned before we sort of termed it the era of convergence alongside the realization group we work along along with to really sort of make this an unprecedented time. And and with unprecedented times come unprecedented opportunity. With opportunity as well, you know, comes risk. And and at the moment we've seen huge huge volatility in the last five years or so. And we've seen a, we've seen a real roller coaster around crypto. So whilst I see this mm -hmm. sort of you know beginning of the end sort of line that comes out from a couple of newspapers at the, at the moment is this the end for crypto is this the end for bitcoin and ethereum and all that sort of stuff that comes from it you kind of um, smirk a little bit because it's that how many ends of it has it had over over the course of the last five years or so but it keeps on coming back and coming back stronger and, and more inevitably over time which is the this sort of mm. classic adoption curve of any of this sort of space with more headlines, even today, as we speak, that this, this will come out in a month from when we talk about. It. So you know, if we're talking now the 20th of June with what's happened in the market so, so far and your, you know, you as a startup business, how, how much has this sort of impacted your strategy? How are you surfing the tide? What's it look like for, for Dequantify? Well, the, the, the looking at it crudely, if you take a step back, I mean, we're providing risk management services, right? Yeah. So 
the well, well positioned. It's, it's a good thing for us, right? I mean, you know, if you want to start hedging yourself and protecting yourself against uh, large market, you know, market movements, then you need to understand where your risks are, right? And yeah. so, risk management is is precisely what you should be looking at. I mean, if you happen to be sitting on loads of lots of crypto, you know, maybe you've been selling NFTs or you've got loads of Ethereum you're very exposed to the Ethereum price. Okay, so what do you do about it? How do you how do you diversify? How do you hedge yourself? I mean, this is what derivatives are for. Well, one of the main reasons, right, is for insurance and protection and diversification. So it's good for us that this is happening in a way because it makes people more aware, um, but it's kind of bad for us because it means they have less money to spend on the services we provide. So I guess the optimum time for us is when the market just starts to pick up again and everyone still yeah. remembers how they lost money. They now have money to think about protecting themselves going forward. That makes a lot, a, a lot of sense. And, and how does that look? Is that, is that something you see coming soon? What's the, uh, if you've got your crystal ball out, which is very, very difficult in this space, what's the, what's the predictions look like? I have no prediction. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't, that's probably that's sure. probably a, that's probably a safe place to sit, isn't it? To, 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 to... If, if you look over at last year, there was a big, huge dip in sort of early Q3 last year. So in July, Bitcoin reached 60 60k dollars, and then there was a big dip, recovered a bit, and then there was a dip over Christmas. So they seem to last a month or two. And yeah. then people, so what's what I feel tends to happen is people tend to overreact. So, yeah. generally, when it's going up, the market will go up and probably overshoot where it should be. And when it goes down, it will overshoot where it should be. So, there'll be a correction, I think, in the next few weeks. Yeah. So, you're saying get in now. <laughs> I'm thinking now. Well, I'm, I'm personally thinking now is a very good time to buy. I'm, I'm selling my kidney tomorrow. I'm going and, and I'll blame it on you if we, if we go down that, one, down that route. I was just going to say that the, the one almost certainty in the crypto space is uh, high volatility. Um, yeah. So for sure. Uh, so it's kind of, it's a bit of a fool's errand trying to predict uh, what's going to happen, I think. But this is why you want to kind of be, you know, positioning yourself so that you're not you know, completely exposed to the vagaries of the market. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just makes sense to start, you know, protecting yourself and hedging yourself and protecting your assets. Yeah. Uh, and I want to add, actually, that in, in traditional markets, the, the times when traders have generally, traders working for institutional traders have generally made money are during periods of volatility. Absolutely. But, so the banks did very well, actually, <laughs> at the beginning of COVID, which is, which, which is counterintuitive, but the market was very volatile. Yeah. I think that's what, what really interests me about this. And, and if you look at crypto as a whole and this merger of TradFi and DeFi, so the TradFi piece comes into it because it's based around models and experience, particularly around you know, some of the derivatives markets where we've seen this before. And if you go in there and, and, and look, I look at, you know, take, take this out of the work concept to, to friends who, are, who are, are really focusing on it. The ones who are winning are the ones who are taking that approach that both of you have just spoken about. You know, understanding the volatility, knowing you know, about, about the exposure and going into it. Where the real problems have been is, is everyone there. I saw some statistics the other day about how many people between the ages of 20 and 30 have borrowed money to invest into crypto. And it's extraordinary numbers, right? 
So you've got this enormous movement that's being driven by people who are gamblers, effectively, taking punts on things where it seems to be a trend to follow a celebrity who's gone into, into a place where there's no real structure to it, which in turns in traditional finance means is, is rub your hands and there's the opportunity, right? Is that, is that a, a fair assessment of where we sit at the moment? Yeah, I, I think there's a core of investors who properly understand the fundamentals behind the currency. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've then got people who will follow who don't understand the fundamentals, but they're, they're trend followers. And I think that it's that second category that leads to all the volatility. But strategically, that's why I don't think crypto is going to disappear, because you've got those core of people who do understand the fundamentals, and that's what they're, they're taking a view on. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you spoke about the excitement in, in this of technology within the capital market space and uh, a man off my own heart in terms of uh, sort of bowing your head a little bit in terms of the, the, the sort of speed of digital evolution, which I think has been sort of moved significantly forward over the last couple of years, particularly with cloud adoption and such like. I've spoken to a few people recently talk about this sort of generational sway of decentralized finance, of cloud and you know potentially putting ESG into the, the mix as well as all three major game changing things coming together, which puts technology right in the center of it. I learned from my last question about the crystal ball, but t- t- tell me a little bit about what we expect to see trend wise in the marketplace, um, either from a, from a macro level economically and what, what impact that has or from a, a tech thing. Where, where are those opportunities that you see right now? So well, I've already talked about the retail, the movement in crypto markets from retail to institutional. So that's obviously one big trend, and that's one that we are looking to capitalize on as a company. The second one that we absolutely can't ignore is increasing regulation. And that's in mm. the papers at the moment. And we know that this is a government level discussion. So it's been discussed that the in the EU Parliament over the last few weeks, uh, regulation of crypto has also been discussed in the US Senate. And I think there are a couple of big issues. So one issue is the environmental impact of mining, which I do think is a really important topic. And I think I think it's 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 also the environmental impact of mining is somewhat misunderstood. I think I, I I've been involved in many debates myself where it's not understood that there are other models apart from proof of work, which is the one that has an environmental impact. So there's also proof of stake, and it might be new, but I, I think there's some work in progress to reduce the impact. And I think regulation there may, may help progress proof of stake more quickly. And there's obviously regulation of stable coins, and that's become really important after the current issues in the market and with, with Luna. So regulation is, is a big topic, but I think regulation is needed. As, as I worked in, I, I think what's happened in traditional markets is there's possibly been over-regulation. Yeah. Um, but before 2008, there was probably under-regulation. What I see with crypto markets is, is some regulation is needed to rebuild trust after the current set of events. I don't think it's even just the current set of events, is it? I mean, trust has been the issue with, with the crypto world from pretty much day dot. You go back to conversations in the institutions that you guys will have been working at that sort of stage. And you know, five years ago, it was seen as money laundering and a feather around that. There was no trust in it whatsoever. As that's developed and you've seen people you know, win fortunes overnight and lose fortunes overnight, that only exacerbates more trust issues. So I, I agree with that. I think that regulation is the piece which makes it you know, a genuinely mainstream asset class because of the ability there to, to, to build widespread trust in something there that is as, as volatile as, as it has been. There's not too many other places in history that have captured the public imagination to quite such the same sort of level as, as there. There's not 
people have been you know, moving into crypto like they would have done into William Hill in years gone by. And I think that makes it quite an interesting dynamic in terms of how we deal with this and as a genuinely institutional asset class. I wonder if it will go down that route. I wonder if, it, if that's where it, where it does head. I, I think there's a danger, isn't there, which, which is that it gets over-regulated in the same way that traditional markets have been over-regulated. Yeah. I mean, I was involved in MIFID, and MIFID, I think it's been so hard and so costly to implement. And then it sucked the life out of a lot of people, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and the return, there's a lot of conversations in the marketplace about how useful MIFID actually has been. Yeah. And I think MIFID is also that there's one big issue with over-regulation, which is it reduces the number of players in the market. So it favours mm. very, very large institutions because of the cost of implementing those regulations. So I would hope that the regulators will try and not over-regulate and will apply something that's a bit more light touch, perhaps. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the sort of early rhetoric that we're, that we're hearing out there in the marketplace at the moment. So... I love early stage businesses. I've got a big affinity to the to sort of startup community and I've seen you know, many friends and, and businesses grow up over the last two decades that I've been in this space and seen some wonderful companies really thrive from it. You guys are in, in exactly the right space for it at the moment. Fred, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about what, what the, uh, the next phase of Dequantify looks like. Well, where do we go for the next five years? Well, we have, we have a, a roadmap for the company and the product. So as Sahil mentioned, you know, we want to try and bring the traditional tools, the tools of the traditional markets to the crypto markets. So there are a number of well-established kind of patterns and styles and functions that you can imagine in an institution that wants to gear up to be properly professional for dealing with crypto. So we're looking to provide a, a suite of tools, you know, software solutions within that, that space. Uh, so it's, it's about supporting that business niche rather than actually developing a particular uh, piece of software you know so we're looking to expand in terms of the uh, number of exchanges we cover uh, the, you know, the number of different coins and tokens that we handle you know we have the whole PL explain aspect which we think is quite important because when you have your coins across many different exchanges you know many different products lots of trades going on it's, it's quite hard to understand where you're making your money or not um, so we've had some interest in providing tools for that aspect in particular. Then there's, you know, automated hedging. Uh, you can imagine that aspect. So not so much automated trading, but automated hedging. So when you take on positions, you can get hedges automatically put in place. So we'll be looking to get customers, get a few more customers, uh, start hiring staff in to look after different aspects of the company so that we can, you know, we can concentrate on growing the business and spending time on the things we love, uh, which is programming for me and understanding some of the models and the maths, that would be good. And to try and build, you know, try and get into a, a, a solid revenue generating business. Then we can sit back and think, you know, do we take this onto another level and start, you know, taking on software companies? Um, I, I mean, I used to work for a software company many, many, many years ago. So it's always been in the back of my mind to uh, start my own software company. Look at that. And go you down that road. First. Or do we partner with someone? Or th there's a whole aspect when it matures that you have to start thinking about the accounting side, right? And uh, settlements and all that aspect. So there's a question of partnerships for us as well and how we do the business development so that we can fit in with other companies where provide other solutions that are perhaps not as exciting on the face of it 
So that's how I, I think, see us. Yeah, I think that's, sorry to interrupt there. I just think that partnership model has been really interesting sort of development over the last few years. And you see more interoperability and people looking at, you know, in, in the markets of, of content, which is solving you know, one of the biggest issues of a, of a startup business in you know finance, which is the procurement cycle and, and how easy it is to grow, scale and move up. And uh, that's been a really encouraging aspect of it all, I think. And so, so the beauty of it is, is options. I'm going to ask a question to both of you. Six months in now, six, seven months in, has it been everything you expected? Are you loving it? Are you, I think passion's a big part of all this. It looks like the pair of you have found your niche. You're enjoying yourselves, eh? Yeah. So after doing a social media startup, I have to admit, I'm really happy to go back to something around financial technology. I feel much yeah. more at home there. But what, what I love about this is, as Fred said, it's like going back to the early days of derivatives where you feel that you're really innovating and working on new things. And I haven't had that since I was... I don't know, 20, 21 or whatever it was. Yeah. Time. A couple, couple of weeks ago. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant thing to see, isn't it? And, and I think you know, when you start to look at all of the scale of opportunity that this uh, that exists in this sort of space, when you look at the challenges and, and the opportunities in it, and you go back to what Fred, you've just been talking about there about where it can go and what the next sort of phases of growth looks like and to see you sort of really rubbing your hands about some of the, uh, the, the you know, the mathematical and technical opportunities and <laughs> <laughs> sort of, sort yeah, of uh, indeed. come up there. It, it turns out to be a, uh, it turns out to be a really interesting thing. So I'm going to ask a question to, to, to you both with regards to who should be speaking to you at the moment and who you feel you can help. Who are the sort of people that should be getting in touch and, and how should they do that? What's the, what's the best route for people to approach you at the moment? I think probably the, one of the key things, we're, we're in this phase where we're trialling our products and we're, we're very customer-led. Um, so we really want to build products that our customers love using. And, and mm-hmm. by that, I mean end users. So I know that yeah. a lot of enterprise-grade products are probably perhaps more tailored for uh, to sell to technology, but we're very, very focused around end users. And that that's reflects the, our backgrounds of working on trading floors. So yeah. if there are any hedge funds or market makers out there or brokers who would like to try our products for free, we would really like to hear from you. So we'd be very happy to, to set you up to take your feedback and work with you to enhance a product to, to fit your needs. So that's that's the first question. As to how people get in touch with us, we've got a website, dequantify.com, and we've got our email and we've got a phone number on there. Always very happy to hear from people. Or we've got a LinkedIn page. So you can just search for dequantify on LinkedIn and we'll come up. Or just contact Fred or me directly on LinkedIn. Just message us and we're, we're happy to, to be contacted that way too. You're going to get an interesting conversation, I think, at the end of that call. That's really fantastic. And I love the fact you're talking there about being customer-led. When I look at startups in the space that succeed, they're the ones who are listening to the actual problems of their, their user base and developing it to, to it. So when I was, was really interested in the question I asked you, Fred, earlier on about you know, how this impacts dequantify and, and where you go as to whether you sort of lurch from one expedient to the next, it's actually you know, pivoting, I think, is, is part and uh, nature of the last few years and, and companies that have been able to adapt and see opportunities and listen to customers and put those into it make for really strong propositions as far as i'm concerned i'm really I've, you know i've loved finding out a little bit more about all of this it seems like it's a really exciting phase for it anything we can do to help promote bang the drum and put you in touch with the right people will definitely be doing because this is uh, exactly the space i think i think you can be better positioned i love the backgrounds of both of you it's, it's that classic sort of convergence as we've spoken about beforehand of traditional finance and where it's needed in, in decentralized at the moment so 
I wish you both nothing other than the, the best of luck. Don't think you need it. I think you've got, you know, you're onto something there. That it sounds like it's absolutely perfectly situated in the right space. But uh, it's been lovely having you on the show. I really appreciate both of your time today. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Absolute Thank pleasure. You. And we will see you soon. And, and thanks a lot to everyone for listening in. Please do get in touch with the guys. We will put some links alongside this as well. And we look forward to seeing you on another episode of Fintech Focus TV. Thank you very much. Thank you.